Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Today is Tuesday, October the 10th. We are reading from the big book, and we're on page 156, the third paragraph, but life was not easy, through six paragraphs ending with, I can't understand it, and sharing on all. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, June S., 12 Traditions, Stacey T., and readers of the text, Elizabeth H., Nessa R., and Lisa H. The reference numbers for yesterday, Monday, October the 9th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 10526, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 10529. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask June S. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is June S. The 12 steps, number one, We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitting to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And thank you for giving, letting me have do service, and a good day to all. Thank you. Thank you, June S. 
and Stacy T will read the 12 traditions. Good morning. Thanks for your service, Lynn. Stacy T, recovering compulsive eater in Cleveland. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you, Stacy T. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 156, the third paragraph, but life was not easy, through six paragraphs ending with, I can't understand it, and sharing on all. And I'll ask Elizabeth H. to begin reading. Good morning. This is Elizabeth H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Restricture in Orlando, Florida, page 156. But life was not easy for the two friends. Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. Both saw that they must keep spiritually active. One day they called up the head nurse of a local hospital. They explained their need and inquired if she had a first-class alcoholic prospect. She replied, yes, we've got a corker. He's just beaten up a couple of nurses. Goes off his head completely when he's drinking. But he's a grand chap when he's sober, though he's been in here eight times in the last six months. 
understand he was once a well-known lawyer in town, but just now we've got him strapped down tight. Here was a prospect, all right, but by the description, none too promising. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. But one of the friends said, put him in a private room. We'll be down. Two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Who are you fellows, and why this private room? I was always in a ward before, said one of the visitors. We're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, Oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here. I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. Again, I'm Elizabeth, compulsive overeater and restrictor in Orlando, Florida. Grateful to be in recovery today. And, and thank you to everyone on the line uh, and to the moderator and team Tuesday for your service. Uh, I'm really thankful to read this section. There's so much to unpack in here, so much about the um, uh, the necessity of, of Step 12 uh, to spread the message to help um, others find recovery and also to strengthen my own recovery in doing so. Um, I look at what these first two fellows are doing and how um, the amount of courage that God gave them to, um, you know, go to a hospital, talk with a nurse, ask if there was someone that they could speak to directly, uh, and you know, sometimes we we're really spoiled by the fact that we've had such a big fellowship grow up uh, in OA and as a as a, a sister organization to AA, and you know we we already have such a big fellowship to lean back on and rely upon that I think we forget how many people there are out there who are still sick and can benefit from us and can strengthen our own recovery in the process. So I'm just really inspired. And I'm also withdrawn to a couple of phrases uh, on page 157, scared glassily and hopelessness was written large on the man's face. I've seen photo essays of um, alcoholics before and after their recovery and the physical changes that exist. Their skin tightens, their color changes, their complexion clears, their um, their eyes brighten, and then they also generally, you know, have a better sense of, of grooming. So, you know, we say in OA that our um, disease wears itself on our body, on our in our our weight frequently, but I also, I know that when I'm in the sickness, it's not just my weight, but you do see it in my eyes, you see it in my posture, you see it in my skin color, everything changes when I'm in the food because I'm not, um, uh, because I've, I've lost that spiritual and emotional part of the program, so um, I think it's important for us to recognize that uh, that people can see recovery in us in more than weight loss, um, whether they know that's what they're looking at or not. Um, it's really amazing when when we check in with the, the spiritual and emotional component and the changes that exist. Uh, so thank you for letting me share, and I pass. 
And thank you, Elizabeth H. We'll now open up the floor for sharing. I'd ask that you please just say your name once. It helps me get everybody down. Larry B. Charles Gray. Yes, M. Barbara E. Lisa J. R. Kim G. Larry B. Charles H. Barbara E. Barbara, I've got you there. Thank you. Vicki D. Aaron M. Okay, this is who I have. Barbara E, Harlan G, Lisa J R, Kim G, Leah D, Charles H, and Vicky D. So let's go with that lineup right now. Barbara E, would you like to start off for us, please? Followed by Harlan G. Good morning, everyone. This is Barbara E. Did you just call on me while I was unmuting? Yes, ma'am. Okay, well, first, scary thing. Hi, everyone. Well, of course, this was alcoholic number three, Bill Dobson, and the necessity of paying it forward. These men knew it right from the start. They had to keep working with suffering people in order to achieve long-term sobriety for themselves. And alcoholic number three, Bill Dobson, can be found in our big book called Alcoholic Anonymous number three, page 182. And he, this third fellow, was much like me. At least I felt so. He came from a relatively happy family. He had a good marriage. Um, He had none of the reasons, conscious or unconscious, for going into the alcohol. Nor did I with the food. But I was born that way. I had a natural proclivity for eating too much. It was not an example of my parents who were moderate in all things. Um, I just started eating in elementary school. I subconsciously found friends who were like myself, who liked to overeat, even though I didn't know that they might have a compulsive eating problem. And when I reconnected, with them just a few years ago because they live in different parts of the country. My goodness, they were sincerely, severely overweight. And by this point in time, I was not, and they were much surprised. Bill Dobson was running from alcohol by quitting university and joining, I believe, the Army. Well, I quit Weight Watchers and I quit Diet Center and I quit many, many more programs because I was ashamed of myself, of my failure yet again. So when I came into OA 21 years ago, I was desperate. I was hopeless and I heard stay for the miracle and I was willing to hang around for a little while. I didn't know. The only thing that gave me a glimmer of hope was that I saw people who had claimed they'd been abstinent and happy and joyous for 20, 25, 30 years. And that's what I wanted. I didn't come in to be spiritually uplifted or mentally changed or have any kind of experience. I wanted to lose weight, for goodness sake, and keep it off. 
keep it off happily, or maybe not so happily, because I really wanted to keep eating without any of the consequences, but I changed over time. Like the Appalachian Mountains that were worn down by sun and wind and rain and snow, my resistance to having a spiritual experience was worn down until I really... Oh, thank you. I really came to believe I needed a higher power, not in my refrigerator, and I got it. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Harlan G., it's your turn, and Lisa J.R., you'll be next. Thank you very much, and and thank you to Team Tuesday for this, this magnificent meeting. I'm Harlan G., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Let's look at the timing of what we're reading because this is historical stuff. You know, um, many, many times I run into people in OA that have been in these program that have been in this program for many years. They've never sponsored anyone. They've never they've never done any kind of service. Let's take a look at what's going on here. Dr. Bob got sober on June the 10th, 1935. Bill Dotson is going to enter the hospital at Akron City Hospital on the 26th of June, 1935. On the 28th of June, after two days of sobriety, not two months, not two years, not two weeks, two days of sobriety, he will be visited by Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson. Dr. Bob at that time had 18 days, excuse me, 18 days of sobriety. He had worked through the steps in 18 days, and he's had his spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. Bill Dotson is going to enter the hospital on the 26th. He's going to get visited by Bob and Bill on the 28th. And on the 29th, he is going to give his life and will over to God and he is going to leave the hospital on the 4th of July, 1935, never to drink again throughout the days of his life. He was a politician, uh, along with being a lawyer, and even though in the summer of 35 he was embroiled in a campaign and he was sober, his alcoholism was used against him, and he lost the election, and it did not make him drink. He kept sober. He was a bastion of service. And what we're going to read about in the next couple of days is that Bill and Bob did not preach to Bill Dotson from some spiritual hilltop. They're going to tell him of the allergy of the body. They're going to tell him of the twist of the mind. And they're going to tell him about the steps, the solution that they had found in the Oxford Group program because there was no AA at that time. And although they didn't know it, the first meeting, or the, not the first meeting, excuse me, the first group of Alcoholics Anonymous had been formed by Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, and Bill Dotson. Now, there was going to be failure all around them, but Bill Dotson, Dr. Bob, and Bill will stay sober, and we're going to learn about the timing of these things, that they didn't procrastinate, that they got to business, they got to work, And that was the only way that they kept sober. And it's the only way I can keep abstinence today. Nothing has changed. The calendar has changed. The clothes have changed. 
but the human being doesn't change. And if I don't work this, I will be eating chocolate turtles and Kit Kat bars before you can say two and two is four. And with that, I will pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Lisa J.R., it's your turn. And Kim G., you're up next. Good morning, everybody. This is Lisa J.R. from Baltimore, Maryland. Great, gratefully recovered just for today by God's grace. And, you know, an alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature. And, boy, did it give me relief to hear that somebody, you know, was, was so caught up in their illness that they were capable of beating up nurses that, you know, um, I didn't feel just so absolutely wretched when I read that because it's just the facts, ma'am. When I was in the disease and feeling um, shameful and feeling uh, just horrible about my food addiction, it was real easy for me to zero in on my husband, do his inventory, and um, just literally abuse him uh, emotionally um, and verbally and character assassinate. I'm ashamed to say my husband. Um, and, um, you know, that was just my way of, of justifying my, my food. And thank God it's not like that today. Thank God that, that two people, that more than two people, that a whole army of you guys um, help me recover. Um, I would never have known about this book. I would have never known about the principles had it not been for many of you pouring in your stories to, to my life and blessing me. And, you know, I, I draw on page 15 of, of Bill's story, uh, that paragraph about the tough times. And Dr. Bob, you know, three of my favorite pages are at the end of his story. And I take the insurance out by helping others, and I'm just so grateful that I'm able to do so. And um, with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa J.R. Kim G., it's your turn, followed by Leah D. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Two days later, you know, giving you a treatment for alcoholism, hopelessness was written all over the man's face. I'm a goner. You know, this, this history is absolutely beautiful, and I love when Harlan shares about the history of, of AA. And, you know, I was reflecting, actually, on some of the history of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, that, that Roseanne wrote a book, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, and, you know, one of the things I remember reading in there is that, you know, at least when I came in the 90s, the preamble included, you know, we're not a diet and calories club, and, what Roseanne realized after the first couple of years was they were a diet and calories club. I mean, everyone was just counting calories, and she knew that something was missing. So she started to go to some AA meetings, and she went to a meeting that studied the doctor's opinion. And she read that line, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence, that we have to abstain from alcohol in any form. And that's where the Overeaters Anonymous got the word abstinence to need food sobriety. You know, a great speech of, of Roseanne, I think it was 1999 or 2000, when the World Service Business Conference, there's probably some CDs, you know, rolling around the Internet. You know, she talked about some, some hard truths. She talked about the fact that she was approached by the hotel um, saying that 
that OA was her, their favorite conference. And she was so excited. Oh, really? Tell me why. Thinking she would hear how wonderful the people in Overeaters Anonymous treated the hotel staff. And what they said was, well, with your conference, we make the most money we make on any conference from, from room service. I mean, that's a sad reflection on Overeaters Anonymous at, at that time. She talked about the fact that as she was the secretary of world service for many years, and there was an assistance requirement, and she gained a lot of weight, and the world service trustees got together, and they confronted her lovingly, and they, told, they fired her. Because they were said they were more concerned about protecting OA as a whole than protecting Roseanne's feelings. And she also says that saved her life. So I have to ask myself, do I love my fellows, my fellow compulsive overeaters enough to tell them the truth? I know I personally gained 50 to 60 pounds in Overeaters Anonymous saying I was absent. No one ever confined me, asked me a question. Do I love my meetings enough to tell the truth? You know, I personally, many years of having meetings where I was sharing the problem by people who were still only in the problem. No absence requirements to lead or any service positions in the meeting. And extend that to your intergroup, region, world service. You know, I often see people saying they've been absent for years and decades who are continue to be morbidly obese. Well, I want to end with this. I love this saying that honesty without compassion is cruel, but compassion without honesty kills. And we have to be very honest about our own history the way that Bill is honest about the failures in AA's history. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Leah D., it's your turn. And Charles H., you're up next. Hi. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes, thank you. Hi, thank you. Good morning. My name is Leah D., recovered in Brooklyn. And uh, it's important that I share on this today. But life was not easy for the two friends. Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. We had to keep spiritually active. Um, I'm learning to step outside my comfort zone, to reach out to the newcomer, to understand what it means to go to see someone who's totally blind to what I've got and the gift that I've got. Um, I have a prospect now who's been disappointed many, many, many times through the rooms and people because people are not perfect. And it's very easy for me to say, let someone else do it. Let someone else do it who has the time, who cares. And um, it's hard work. You know, it's a lot of disappointment. And I sat back too long for too many years, um, too many years, and riding the roller coaster of chronic relapse, riding that roller coaster every day, every day, every day. And today I've been given a gift of recovery, and mostly through you guys and my sponsor who guided me through this book. And I had an incident last night, like a smack in the face, and the first thing I did was I did a meeting. And I need to be able to explain, and I'm not such a good explainer, you know, it's hard for me to get the words out. I could use a course in explaining. And I need to explain to that person who's in her disease, not a newcomer. You don't have to go to newcomers to help. People, you know, who who can't walk. The woman said to me, she's gained so much weight, she can't walk anymore, and her heart's involved. And last night she wrote me off, and I texted her this morning and said, what time can we speak today? And I'm, I'm not doing it out of ego. God's got to guide me. God's got to guide me so I can deal with this corker. She's a corker, and I love that word. And we're going to look for the corkers 
And I guess there's a pun of words because they called her a corker and he's an alcoholic. So what would they call us? Laugh out loud. But it's, it's hard work. Um, I have a full life. This is not my vocation. But I, I'm giving it back today because I do not want to have the glassy eyed. I can't go back anymore. Recovery has got to be my, my first name, not even my middle name. And uh, thank you for letting me share this morning and letting me listen to all of you so I can go to this corker and ask God to give me the strength to hopefully, you know, let us see the, the, the recovery and the hope in my eyes. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Leah D. Charles H., it's your turn, followed by Vicki B. Thank you, Lynn S. for your service. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. I want to make an amends for saying my name more than once. I normally don't do that. It ain't that serious. So I want to make an amends to you um, for, for doing so. Um, so Dr. Bob and Bill W., they weren't going to check in on this dude. You know, we check in the hotels. We don't check in on, on prospects. Um, they, they stated that they were giving him the treatment for alcoholism. And um, for amplification, you can read his story um, in Alcoholics uh, Number 3, I believe it's behind Dr. Bob's Nightmare. Um, so they was giving him a treatment. And, and for somebody that, that like me, I'm grateful for when I, when I read this part of Vision where it says he's been in here six times. I mean, eight times in the last six months. This is hope. This is hope for somebody like me that's been trying and trying and trying and trying and not doing and doing and doing and doing. Um, and this is also the earmark of H&I commitments, hospital and institution commitments, where, you know, a lot of people in these rehab, um, they said put them in a private room, but you, but this was the earmarks, the beginning, the origins, the origins of hospital and institution commitments where, you know, we are going or, or someone's going. I've seen it because I've been in institutions, sanitariums, right, and I've seen speakers come in and share their experience, strength, and hope. Now, they stayed sober another day, seeing us in there. And in turn, I go in to those places, no judgment, no judgment, just trying to carry the message. And if it stick, it stick. If it don't, it don't. But there's always hope. There is always hope. This guy's been trying and trying and trying, and then he finally succeeded. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that he died with 19 years of sobriety under his belt. And I'm truly grateful for this guy because this guy, Bill D., proved that they were on to something. The birth of AA was, was, was coming into play. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Charles H. Vicki D., it's your turn. Hi, this is Vicki D. Um, I'm unable to share at this time, but thank you. Thank you, Vicki D. For those of you who are just coming on the line this morning, we are on page 156, the third paragraph, but life was not easy, through six paragraphs ending with, I can't understand it, and sharing on all. To start our second round, we have Larry K. and Karen M. Who else would like to share? Lisa B. Melissa M. Madam. Julie F. M. C. Okay, let's stop there because I'm not sure how much time we have, and I missed a couple of people. 
I have Larry K, Karen M, Lisa B, Melissa somebody, another M person, and then Matt M. And I don't think we'll be able to get through everybody. Who did I miss there? There were two people. Janice M. Thank you, Janice. And Julia C. Sorry, I heard two people at once. Julia. Let's go with it. Okay. And Let's go with this lineup and we'll see how we do, okay? Larry K, Karen M, Lisa B, Judy S, Melissa, Janice M, and Matt M. And I don't think we'll have time for everybody, but let's start off. Larry K, can you start for us, please? Followed by Karen sure. M. Sure, happy to. Um, Larry K, uh, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, gosh, a lot was said. I won't, I won't even comment on Bill Dotson so much as just to say that, um, you know, th- these three these three guys at this point, Bill and Dr. Bob and Bill Dotson, they changed. They changed as human beings. The sp- spiritual awakening cannot happen. We can't become awakened if we don't change. If these steps do not enable someone to change, then all we have is temporary sobriety. That's just the cold, hard truth. And I think, um, I think what happens is, is but, but conversely, a change can happen quite dramatically and it can happen very quickly as the result of the actions embedded in our steps here. These guys changed and they never had a drink again. So what's so my question really back to myself and, and to you know to the rest of the group is what is it about me? Is it my pride that's getting in the way of change in the midst of these actions? Am I am I taking these steps? Am I having the integrity as a human being to do the steps imperfectly as only a human being can, right? But am I following the when we say follow the steps precisely, we're suggesting that the steps result in a change in us as human beings so that we become unblocked from this higher power. And when the power begins to flow in through us, lots of beautiful things happen to us. Among those, among those is that this obsession is lifted, gonzo, it's gone. And yet somehow we recognize that we still need to stay in fit spiritual condition. I don't know how that happens, but it does. To those who know, no explanation is necessary. And to those who do not yet know, no explanation may be sufficient. Very grateful for this program. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Karen M., it's your turn, followed by Lisa B., Karen, if you're speaking, we don't hear you, or maybe I didn't hear a Karen M. Okay, Lisa B., are you available, Hi, Karen please? M. From, can oh, you hear there me she now? Is. Oh. Yes, thank oh, you. We've got you. Okay, sorry about that. Hi, it's Karen M. from New Jersey. I'm so grateful to be recovering and um, to be on the line this morning to hear all these amazing shares. So I am a chronic relapser, was in program for many, many years, um, and thought that the goal was abstinence. And once I truly got into this big book and followed the steps precisely, 
precisely as written in this book, um, I was able to finally get abstinence. And what it taught me was change, what was shared previously. Um, you know, I had to start with step one and keep going. And now having, you know, going up to step six, um, I have something to give back. And when I was asked to speak, my first reaction was, oh, no, you know, I don't have long enough uh, uh, recovery. But what was shared this morning, oh, my gosh, you know, these guys had a couple of days, a couple of days, and they were on fire. And so I need to give back. I need to work these steps precisely and then work with other compulsive overeaters and share what has so freely be given, been given to me. And um, today I am just so grateful, so grateful. Thanks for letting me share. And thank you, Karen M. Lisa B., it's your turn, followed by Judy S. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for your service, Lynn. Um, What jumps out for me in the reading, at least in the first uh, part of it on page 156, is the word um, spiritual. So they're talking about that they must keep spiritually active, and then it goes on to say the use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. And then the man, you know, alcoholic number three, AA number three, is asking, you know, what are you doing here? Well, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism, and, you know, spirituality and alcoholism recovery really are one and the same. It's not separate. You know, it's not um, something different. And in Bill's story, he tells us how to perfect and enlarge our spiritual life. And that's done through work and self-sacrifice for others. It's not done me sitting, you know, on a hilltop meditating, although that's wonderful too, you know, um, keeping that channel with my higher power open. But really and truly it is for me, the way I grow and enlarge my spiritual life is through work and self-sacrifice for others because I have a problem with selfishness and self-centeredness as the root of my illness. And um, it's never going to be separate and a part of uh, me. That selfishness and self-centeredness is always going to be there, just like spirituality is always going to be a part of the treatment in this fellowship. And um, I need to be a conduit a channel every day. And, you know, early on my sponsor shared with me the value of calling newcomers. Even though I wasn't recovered yet, I could share with them I wasn't recovered, but I could share with them what I was doing. And um, I'm so grateful for that, of learning to use that muscle because that muscle was so lax. I I didn't think I had anything to add. And sometimes that uh, low self-esteem thing can be there for me always. Oh, I don't have a voice. I don't have anything to add. That can still be there. But today I know what my job is. It's to be a conduit. It's to be a channel. And, And the gift of this program is all inside of me, and it's transmitted from one person to another. You know, every so often maybe someone gets it through like cosmic consciousness, you know, just by picking it up in the air, but I I don't know that to be too often. Meeting someone, having them share it with me, what they did, what happened, what it's like, and not drifting from the message in this, the chip of this book, you know, not trying to reinvent the wheel, sticking to what it's talking about. Bill is showing us through his behaviors with Dr. Bob how to 
be recovered, how to get recovered, how to stay recovered, and to continue to enlarge my life. And now I can pass that message on. I have to, or I will die. It will wither up and die. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. And Judy S., it's your turn, followed by Melissa. Judy S., please go ahead. Hi, Lynn. This is um, Julie S. from Florida. Can I be heard? Thank you, Julie. Yes, thank you. Hi. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Julie S. I'm a compulsive eater recovering in Florida. Um, I don't usually share because I tend to feel like I'm a chronic relapser. I don't have enough days of abstinence under my belt. And um, I think that a lot of that is part of my disease of um, compulsion and perfectionism. And I just felt so compelled to share this morning because of the simplicity of the recovery that these men were able to achieve. And thank you so much, Harlan, for sharing the historical um, background info for me because it it, it really spoke to me about the fact that um, the key for me, I think, that is missing is that I, I, I always think that I'm not, you know, abstinent enough or, or you know, have as much time and program with, with success to even have another conversation with another compulsive overeater. And the program is simple. I don't need a million workbooks and have to do a, a million tools every day. But what I can do is that if I'm at my face-to-face meetings and someone asks me a question, that I can have this conversation, I can, you know, I can discuss my success and my disease in, in, in program, and that will help another person, and that is 12-step work, even though I may feel like my program isn't as strong and stellar as some other people, so, um, and that's going to help me grow in, in my recovery, and um, I just felt it important to say it on the line this morning for myself to remind me that um, this is what I need to do to keep myself recovered and to get another day of abstinence and to keep working the steps. And even if I'm not complete all 12 of them successfully, I still can help another person by, by a simple conversation. So thank you so much for allowing me to share this morning and I pass. Thank you, Julie S. Is there a Melissa who wanted to share or did I miss here? Hi, good morning. Yes, it's Melissa C. Great. Thank you, Melissa. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you. Great. Thank you. Good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, so like a couple of things are jumping out at me. One is um, everybody I know just about has been a chronic relapser, you know, and we are the most promising candidates because, um, through experimentation, that's what it took me, lots of experimentation to fully understand that I was powerless to this thing, that every new scheme I tried, both in the rooms of OA and out of the rooms of OA, failed miserably. And um, and call it relapse or call it um, not yet finished, you know, when you're not yet done, when you haven't completely surrendered, if you've got one more attempt um, that you're like ruminating about in your mind as you're working this, if you still have this thought that you're going to get out of this disease without doing this work, like I tell people I work with, go try that other strategy then. Put put that thought to rest. Um, or if you're done, you're done. And so I think 
candidate because um, he was hopeless, and hopeless is what it takes. And, you know, and the other thing is, like, right in the doctor's opinion, it tells us that um, the treatment, you know, requires um, working with others. Like, that is actually the treatment. It's not, I get the full treatment, and then I work with others. And, you know, so when, when I sponsor people or, you know, guide people, um, like, they're, you know, prompted, urged to make calls right from the start. And if it makes you nervous, you know, something that I suggest to people is, Make those conversations text-based like we do on this line. Like if your assignment has been a specific reading or working on certain questions, when you call someone, ask them those questions. You know, share what it is that you're reading. Ask their perspective. And I think, I think it makes it a little easier for us to um, then have something to share, you know, because if you're reading it um, and you're thinking about it, you've got enough you've got enough information you could certainly you know have a conversation you don't it does not take being recovered you know and the other thing is that um you know i think when you stop drinking um perhaps your physical body clears up maybe quicker and i think sometimes that's been a stumbling block for people who've suffered from morbid obesity sometimes it takes our body Thank you. I'll quickly close. Our bodies have to catch up with our recovery, but we keep pressing on and reaching out. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Janice M., it's your turn, followed by Matt M. Well, thank you, and good morning to you, Lynn S. This is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Okay, now I'm going to um, take it strictly from the sponsorship side because I think this is the skills that, uh, and, and, and it's speaking to me, you know, once I am recovered, because that's what, that's what Bill and Bob here are. They're recovered now. They, Bob just finished his ninth step. So they know that they have to go out and keep spiritually active by, by what? Not just keeping this gift and hoping that, you know, God's going to strike them and keep them fit. No, they have to go out and help another compulsive um, alcoholic, perhaps it's another compulsive overeater. That's what it means, too, to be spiritually active. Now, you know, they like, like it was said, they're newly recovered, and life still produced calamities. I mean, you know, just because we're recovered, everything isn't rosy. Um, and uh, when we want to be comforted, you know, we don't go to the food. That uh, underlying a lot of this, a lot of these um, actions, I see a divine intervention in everything that is done in these paragraphs, in these six paragraphs. One is, yeah, they were probably very uncomfortable, but still, the divine intervention gave them the, the, the courage, the impulse to go out and still ca- carry this message to those who still suffer. Okay, I see that. I see another divine intervention. They didn't go to the hospital and say, oh, golly, this one here is in the hospital eight times, you know, he's a corker. I don't think we can, I think he's hopeless. We didn't judge. We don't judge them and say that they are hopeless. They may seem hopeless as it says in the first edition, 
but they're not hopeless. So that's a divine intervention. Another thing I see is, you know, it's not a coincidence that they were put in this private room. I, I visited that hospital, and that room was a flower room. And they took all the flowers out of that room and put this Bob Dops, Bill Dobson there. I mean, that's a divine intervention, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I see another one is, you know, the self-sacrifice that we recovered uh, compulsive overeaters do. You know, it's not always uh, easy to Time pick up please. that phone. Okay. And so with that, you know, I'm going to pass. It's not always that easy, but we do it anyway to keep permanently um, recovered. And with that, thank you. Pass. Thank you, Janice M. And Matt M., it's your turn. Thank you, Wynn, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. Composable Reader. Excuse me, I have a little bit of a sore throat, so if I voice uh, cuts out, don't mind me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those chronic relapsers. I'm one of those people that people, uh, if people have been judged before, like I'm hopeless and I can't make, I can't make this work, but people haven't given up on me because I'm definitely somebody who's stubborn, who keeps coming back and wants what people have. And uh, I'm definitely someone who wants to get this. And I'm like, I'm finally willing to put sugar down and everything today. I'm getting rid of some bunch of stuff that I have here out of my house today. I'm getting rid of it today. And uh, just like Bill W., Bill, Bill Dobson, I'm definitely one of those people. I'm a corker, all right, with this food food issue. I mean, I got up to 700, almost 700 pounds. I'm definitely a corker. You know, I didn't beat up any nurses or anything like that, but I beat the crap out of myself all the time, telling myself what a piece of shit I was. Excuse me for my language. And all the other things that I said to myself, you know, the way I talk, to, if I talked to anybody else, the way I talked to myself, I'd be in trouble countless times. So it's like, you know, I understand what it's like to be, to feel that hopelessness, that state of like, the, this desperation. And um, I refuse to keep, I'm, I'm going to break this cycle of constant relapse. And I'm definitely know that I can do this one day at a time with everybody's help and with the higher powers help on the line. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Madam. We have time for two more shares. Who would like that spot? Janice M.O. And one more, please. More Z. Great. Okay, Janice M.O., would you like to start off, please? Sure, thanks. Um, this is Janice M.O., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Eater in Pennsylvania. And um, the thing that struck me in the reading was... Um, so Bill and Dr. Bob are recovered. And um, I know in my experience, and it's gotten clearer and clearer as I continue to recover, is that um, I need to put my higher power first, and that ties into my recovery and keeps me recovered. And um, I remember when I was newly recovered, I would just go out and just talk to people. I just, I feel like I just stepped on a lot of toes. And um, what struck me this morning was that since I'm in spiritually fit condition, I have a relation with a higher power and that I need to be led by my higher power of who to reach out to and stuff like that. And um, it's hard to wait on my higher power, you know. Um, fear can come up that I might relapse or I'm not doing it right. And then I do a 10-step, you know, about that. And then um, that gets me back into the truth, you know, that, that I'm not doing this on my own, you know. And so it struck me that, you know, I don't hear it in the story today, but I imagine that Bill and Dr. Bob were being led by their higher power, and um, that's where I'm at now. So I'm just very grateful for that and 
just wanted to say that that's what struck, you know, came up for me. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Janice. Oh, and Maura Z, it's your turn. Thank you, Lynn. Good morning. Maura Z recovered in Virginia. Um, Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here, I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. I could not understand what was going on in what I otherwise thought was a reasonably sound, intelligent mind at work in my body. I did not understand that it didn't matter how much, how strong I felt, how determined I was to not pick up, to not go into the refrigerator, to not go into the freezer, to not go by the Dairy Queen and the McDonald's and all those other crack houses. It didn't matter. There were times when I would mantra on my way, driving down the road, I'm not going to stop, I'm not going to stop. And lo and behold, there I am in the Dairy Queen parking lot. I did not understand. I was a goner. And this was all while going to OA meetings twice a week. And sitting in meetings and how many times I cried. Woe is me. I can't do this. There's something wrong with me. Yes, that's exactly right. There was something wrong with me. But unfortunately, no one was really telling me what that problem was. No one was telling me I had an allergy of the body. And every time I picked up, you know, whatever it was, you know, a frozen pretzel, um, every time I picked one up, I was going to eat another. Every time I picked up a Dairy Queen, there was going to be another. But nobody knew that to tell me that, not at the meetings I was going to. They said abstinence was everything. Beyond, you know, well, most important thing in my life, without exception, was abstinence. Well, that's the first piece. But they didn't explain to me the allergy and the obsession. So I never got it. I sat there at my first OA meeting, April 4th, 99. And I nodded my head, and I'm crying profusely, and over and over I would say, that's me, that's me, I eat like that. And thank you, God, that I found this particular meeting and someone in whom the problem had been solved that was willing and generously, graciously shared it with me so that I may do the same with still others. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you, Maura Z. And thank you to everyone who shared. And for Team Tuesday, June S., Stacy T., Elizabeth H., Nessa R., Lisa H., and Russ M. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. And the share ID for today, Tuesday, October the 10th, is 10531. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Nessa R. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. 
and thank you for the opportunity to do service. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. That is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship, fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.